All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and determines our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and for the first time, joined with a partner in crime, Duncan Joyce from the Then Now Whatever podcast. How's it going? Hello, Lee. How's it going? Um, yeah, I'm actually, yeah, I'm really pleased to be here, yeah. I've been a big fan of the show, and it's really a pleasure to be joining you today. Likewise, I've downloaded your whole catalogue and listened to everything, so very good to have you on. Thank you very much. (laughs) Anytime. And for today's special show, we are going the opposite to what we normally do. Instead of starting at a timeline, we're going to the ending of a battle, and it's the last ever Smackdown and Thunder that went head-to-head. So this is from January 6, 2000. Um, good, Good place to start as any, I guess. The week after this, Thunder went to Wednesday night. And, um bit of a rundown of the two shows then, I guess. Um, we've got yep. the lay of the land of the WWF at the time. We had Triple H was the World Heavyweight Champion. China and Chris Jericho as the Joint Intercontinental Champions. Uh, the New Age Outlaws were the tag champs. The Boss Man had the Hardcore title. And Val Venus had the European title. Any thoughts of the WWF at the time? This is literally weeks uh, before I began watching the WWF, actually. Really? So a lot of these angles are sort of still fresh in my memories, like my first initial angles. So I mean, we'll, we'll get into it more as the show goes on. But yeah, um, I'm sure Kyle will really have been over the moon to see Triple H as champion. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's all over this yes. show as well. Oh, yeah, all over it, yeah. Very Triple H heavy show. <laughs> right at the very uh, genesis of the McMahon Helmsley angle as well. Literally, I thought they were going to replace the SmackDown logo with his face because it was before and after every commercial. Well, I don't know if you... I mean, again, we can get more into this later on, but I don't know if you noticed clips from the Raw beforehand. It was the debut of the new Raw set. And oh, the other two... Just... Well, the other two uh, little side screens they have from the main trunk. Yeah, oh. just literally Steph and Triple H's faces. I remember that from one of the pay-per-view recaps. This is smack bang in the middle of my... It went over here in Australia. WWF went off free-to-air TV about 99, and I didn't get paid right. TV till 2001. So this is right in the middle where pretty much the only way I could watch was to hire the video three months after the pay-per-view ended. So no TV at all for me in this year. Oh, wow. So I see... This is the height of wrestling on TV for me. Both WCW and the WWF are on free television. Believe it or not, Nitro got on here on free TV at this time, though. On free? Wow! Yeah, only for like the last probably 18 months, maybe two years, and it was really late on a Monday night. About midnight it came on. Oh, okay. So over here we got Nitro, but it was, uh, I don't know if you remember, Turner Classic Movies. Yeah. After 9pm or something, that turned into our TNT station. Not bad. And they showed Nitro on that. That's a good time as well. Yeah. And um, on the WCW side of things, we had Bret Hart in his (laughs) final days as the world champion. Um, Jeff Jarrett with the United States title. Norman Smiley with the hardcore title. Uh, Cruiserweight championship was with Medusa. The TV title was vacant. Not sure which of the two was the bigger travesty. And um, David (laughs) Flair and Crowbar had the tag titles. So any thoughts about WCW? WCW. Yeah, WCW at this point was just crazy. Yep. All over the shop. Absolutely. You could tell by watching it as well. And no surprise to probably anyone, I guess, the ratings for the night. SmackDown did a 4.6 and Thunder did a 2.4. 
Oh, that's quite a big gap. Yeah, it's a pretty big one, especially when you think 2000, really, WCW probably had eyes still on coming back here, you'd think. I don't seem to think that the Wednesday move did them any favours either. No, I wouldn't think so. It um, probably was all downhill on a pretty steep decline by this point, I'd say. Yeah. Thunder, a couple of months beforehand, was really bad in terms of the kind of stars you got on. Literally, you'd maybe get one guy that was in the world championship scene, and he'd be in the main event of the show, or he'd be doing an interview with Gene. At this point in time, it's starting to improve a great deal more, but, you know... Still, it's too little, too late, really. Yeah, so they appeared to be from everything I've read. I didn't. This is the first ever Thunder I've watched, believe it or not. Everything, oh wow! Yeah, everything I've read seemed to say that they wanted to put a couple of guys on Thunder and everyone else on Nitro. Like that was part of maybe the negotiation with Brett. I want to say it was. Yes, that was very much in Bischoff's mind. He needed more talent, and he was thinking maybe some Thunder-specific talent open up the playing field a little bit. Yeah, which would be interesting to see had he managed to stay on, how that would have gone, but not to be honest. Well, there was a very... There was a period in late 1999 where they seemed to be more determined to give Saturday Night the push. So they were on the same station. They were both on TBS. And, yeah, because loads of these really pants funders are on up on YouTube if you go and find them. I've been watching them to, like, just get to sleep and stuff. And one of them... There's a really, really dire thunder from, like, November or something where it was, like, all the old jobbers, like, the Gambler and <laughs> the Mice Show, all those kind of, like, enhancement guys were on. And then they did, they had a clip of, like, oh, coming up on WCW Saturday night, we've got Kidman, we've got Mysterio, uh, we've got Medusa, and it's like, sounds like such a better show, I want to see that, please. I've noticed that with some of the Nitros, the matches they've got on the Saturday nights, and you're thinking, oh, I want to watch that, but not to be, not yeah. anyway. Did you see the news about the, the network before we get started on the shows this week, that they're looking to bring in a tier system? Yes, that little survey they put up. It'd be quite interesting. Um, I've, I share pretty much a sentiment with a lot of people. It's weird how they've, like, they've put TNA in this upper tier, like paying more for it. So they're trying to get people to pay more for shows that really the general public aren't really interested in seeing for free, if you look at their ratings on pop so far. Yeah. I, I wonder if, if the, their, the plan there is that TNA might stay alive and they'd have to kick some money to them to use their footage, because I think Ring of Honor was included in, in some of the stuff going around online as well. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they plan on kicking some of the money back and hoping that if it's under their umbrella, they might get a few people in, but... I don't know. I'd love to see the Styles and Samoa Joe compilations they could make. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice, yeah. Um, one of the most recent DVD releases TNA did was a big sort of cash grab four-disc compilation of AJ Styles matches. Yeah. Um, the TNA don't have a D- DVD distributor here in the UK, so I'd have to figure out to import that. No, we sh- I struggled to get any of it here when they first started. Do you remember the weekly pay-per-view days? Yeah. We got one of them a month in Australia on pay- on pay-per-view. Wow, right. So it was just like watching an episode of Raw once a month that you paid for. And I, I did order the first couple, but it was just too hard to keep up. So after that, I was out. Yeah, I think at, at some point it was on Bravo over here. Um, and then so they were on like a group of channels owned by Virgin Media. And 
they got bought when they get bought out by Sky. Um, they moved it to Challenge over here, so TNA is actually on free TV here in a minute. They were here. I just can't back, but yeah, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just literally I can't get a very good signal for that channel in my flat. So it's been ages since I've watched TNA. I turned it on once, and I think Rampage Jackson was on, and I just I couldn't get into it at all. And I love Rampage, but it was oh, just what? I don't know. It was just odd. <laughs> oh, they they had that spell, didn't they? Of getting these MMA stars and. Yeah, absolutely. I tried to watch one of their shows the other week. I, I did. I don't think I mentioned on the show, but my, this episode was due to be originally the first ever Impact against Raw on Monday night. Oh, okay. And I got two out two hours into the three hour Impact watching it on YouTube, and I had a sickening thought. I wonder if that Raw's on the network, and it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't. <laughs> so oh, I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, so I had to scrap that and just start over. Oh, that's a shame. But yeah, that was the other big idea I had for us to do, actually. Yeah. yeah, if I can get a hold of the Raw, I'm very keen to do that. I've already got half my notes on the first show. So. Mm. Speaking of which, I think we've digressed a bit on TNA here. Should we jump into our first show? Yes, let's cut to the TNA of the 2000s. Then. Yes, as you may have guessed, Sam, we've flipped the coin, or Jack Tunney has flipped the coin posthumously, and he sent us to Thunder. over to Thunder, which comes to us from Florence, South Carolina, um, and we open with a limo pulling up and then a video package about the new commissioner, uh, Terry Funk. I had no idea this had ever happened. How about you? Oh, but vaguely, well, see, the, the commissioner position in WCW around this period turned into something more like a championship. Loads of really, really random guys wound up having it. Later down the line, you see the cat having it, and then Lance Storm, and Matt yeah, Storm uh, had the commissionership? In the very, like, dying days, like, when they had the, like, Seven Deadly Sins pay-per-views. So they had, like, Sin and Greed and Revenge and all that stuff. Uh, I never knew that. That's You learn something new. The cat, I do remember. Mm, yeah. Um, we go then to Terry Funk into the ring, calling out the NWO to bring in Arn Anderson, who they had kidnapped <laughs> on Nitro. Um, and as it turns out, they'd held him hostage for the 72 hours, I think they said, from Nitro to Thunder. So I don't know oh, if they bathed him, but he looked pretty rough when they pulled up. Poor Arn. Did you see Terry Funk's white cowboy boots yes. and black suit combo? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was so affectionate. Classy mo. Um, <laughs> Well, speaking of classy, I liked how he called the NWO fat hugs. We're <laughs> yeah. a bunch of fat hugs. Oh, that's that's brilliant. I could never get near Terry Funk. <laughs> and he says, this opening, yeah, this opening uh, video package was really, really frantic. 
Yeah, it just it was a mile a minute. Like I actually in my notes, I couldn't figure out what part was live and what wasn't at first. Um, it took me yeah. sort of a few frames to figure out that it had gone from live shot to a recap. Because so it just sort of went did through. you uh, did you catch what was happening with the tag title situation in this? Yes. So essentially, Arn Anderson had helped screw the NWR out of the belt and got them onto David Flair and Crowbar. Mm. So that's an interesting combination, uh, and it happened on Nitro. They, they, they were doing this thing, it's been going for a couple of months now, where Arn Anderson is essentially kind of like David Flair's godfather. He's very sort of protective of him because, he, in a way, he's family. And in kayfabe, the Flairs are sort of cousins to the Andersons still, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, going back way back. Yeah, like right from the, like when they first brought the Andersons in, in the NWA days. But yeah, David Flair is just on a tear. Sorry, David Flair and his red rosy cheeks are just on a tear at the minute. He's a complete and utter nutcase. <laughs> so you get this thing where Arn is very protective of him and David just doesn't care and just knocks him out and does something. Yeah, And that's how actually the NWO were able, like the NWO 2000, everything's got 2000 on the end of it. But yeah, that's how they were able to kidnap Arn through David's help. Uh, oh yeah, no, because he, he did. I did see that. You're right. Um, my notes here are a little bit hazy with the first part because I think I was in shock that I saw Hacksaw Jim Duggan show up on my screen. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I, 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 you'll have to refresh my memory. I don't remember what happened. All I've written is Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a brown velour tracksuit and white trainers beats up three wrestlers. <laughs> yes, Jim Duggan in 2000 is holding off three men in assault. <laughs> what the hell? Not just three guys. So it's not just three guys. It's Perry Saturn, it's Dean Malenko, and it's uh, Shane Douglas. And how did so, they not hear no, him run into the ring with that suit on? That would have been <laughs> every step. <laughs> <laughs> the state of it. <laughs> oh, dear me. And um, oh, I've completely blanked as well. We've got Tony Schiavone, uh, Mike Tanay, and Scott Hudson as the commentary team. So. Yes. Classic WCW announced team. Um, did you clock later on in the show when they actually showed them that Shivani's not in the middle? He's on the right, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, and his chair's not higher up. He's not the lead guy anymore. Tanay was actually the lead guy. No. Yes, yes, Tanay's been the lead guy on Nitro for about a year or so at this point. They keep changing up the announced teams on a pretty much weekly basis. Like, at the end of 99, it was mostly Tanay and Zabisco, but... Like, typically, sometimes they switch to Tanae and Brain as well. I didn't mind um, Zabisco as a comment- commentator, actually. I-, I never really had a problem with him. I hated Mark Madden. Oh, yes. He was tired, yeah. <laughs> the worst. Um, Scott Hudson was all right with me as well, because, like, in Britain, it was him and Zabisco that would do WCW Worldwide, and they'd, like, dub over original commentary on clips from other matches. But yeah, he's kind of got that Marvel Ronaldo type. Oh, I've got this really big, deep voice. I sound like I'm shouting, but I'm not shouting. Mamma mia! Mamma mia! <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> so after after all that, anyway, the the just massive different things happening on screen. We go to our first match, and it's no less confusing. It's Asia up against Medusa <laughs> for the cruiserweight championship. I actually wrote Asia versus Medusa, Medusa, Medusa champion, and then the bell rang, and the commentators started talking, and I realised it wasn't the women's title they were fighting for. Mm. So that was yes. Um, 
they're still in the midst of this. Uh, well, did you notice who came out on commentary yeah. almost immediately? Well, that actually takes us to the first regular segment of the show, and we immediately have the dick move of the week. Oh, really? Oh, I've got one later on that's a little bit... Uh... Yeah, maybe supersedes it, okay. so we'll see. So the one I'm talking about here, obviously, is Oklahoma coming out to join the commentary team. So um, I agree pretty much with everything Jim Cornette said online about this. It's pretty despicable, really. Um, and he wasn't even... I don't, I, when I tune in WCW on the very rare occasion around this time, I seem to only ever turn on if Vampiro was in the ring and he'd just get the Vampiro! Vampiro! Mm-hmm. And like, at least he, yeah. was, you know, he was taking the piss a little bit, but here he was just basically mocking the guy so and it was pretty yes this all plays off this all plays off um so jim ross not very high on china's push apparently Ah. so they kind of filtered that through into oklahoma feuding with medusa Ah, that makes sense then i did actually i i think i read something about jr not being big on china just a couple of days ago so that must be floating around the internet again for some reason my memory's not it's as good. probably you came up with like with China's passing some of these things probably come out of the woodwork a bit more I guess I guess so um, and we're also we're not seeing much of the action at this point in, on the screen because um, all the, the camera work is on the commentary table I hate when they don't show the start of a match it's a pet hate of mine uh, it's a staple of the early roars the bell rings and they immediately skip to something else um and before anything I can see has really happened, we've got Dean Malenko, Shane Douglas, and Saturn coming down to the ring. So they're out there pretty much straight away. Um, the only real moves I found was Medusa hit a snap suplex on Asia. Medusa, by the way, is dressed like a white female Apollo Creed. So that's quite mm. the outfit she's got on. Um, the Revolution distract the referee, and Saturn gets in and nails Asia, allowing Medusa to hit the German suplex for the one, two, and the three. And... A bit of a waste of time for an opener, really, wasn't it? It didn't do anything for anyone. Totally nothing match. Um, so I was trying to make the point, Asia is part of the Revolution stable with Saturn and Malenko and uh, Douglas. And it appeared as if Saturn attacked Asia of his own accord and they were kind of arguing about yes. it at the very end. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I don't really know what's going on there. Uh, yeah, very little in terms of moves. Um Asia seemed quite athletic, but she had a really poor leg drop. And you notice this uh, Medusa's suplex. Beforehand, she did this springboard like nothing into the ring. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty awful. Wasn't it? I don't yeah, what on earth was going on there. She she just kind of she got that back flipped over onto the apron and did a little swirly dance thing, and then springboarded in to do a just you know, nothing, just land on her feet. Nothing at all. And it was it just the talk about the mile a minute stuff. Like, we go from that to Medusa's. The, the revolution, as you say, are arguing about whether or not Saturn was meant to hit Asia. Medusa's outside the ring arguing with Oklahoma. The filthy animals come out next. <laughs> and um, the filthy animals and revolution start to brawl. And then we're told on commentary, but don't see. Apparently, Oklahoma smashes a barbecue sauce bottle over Medusa's head. Like, yes. Storyline overload. Typical ADHD WCW at this point. So, yeah, if you're keeping score, what's that? That's three runnings, I guess? Or two runnings in a guest commentary spot? Yeah, so... In the first match. And it didn't even go for more than what? You reckon that went about three minutes or so? (sighs) You're lucky if you got two, I think. Yeah, and it's just crazy. I've no idea what's going on. Um, Mm. 
We've yet, yeah, so my notes here go to, that's as I said earlier about the commentary team, um, Tony Schiavone didn't look happy at all, did he? It, it well it's, just, it's just a job for him at this point. Uh, sorry, just going back to Oklahoma as well, um, I can understand why you put him in the dick mood of the night because uh, he was here remarking on Medusa that she should be home cooking for hubby barefoot and pregnant. <laughs> Favourite line of mine at home. Oh my God. <laughs> What's he? I don't what the barefoot thing is about. That's not a very useful thing to be around the house. It doesn't seem to add any benefit, does it? No. <laughs> maybe they can feel the temperature of the floor better. I don't know. Keep the house warm. Maybe. Maybe if she's barefoot, she can't leave. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> she's stuck in the house where she belongs, according to Oklahoma. Probably I guess one of them sayings that goes back to like the turn of a century or something, and no one's ever followed it through. Yeah, I guess. So this one, um, I had this actually as probably my worst match of the two shows as well. So I know we're getting all the segments out of the way early, but this on my Hammerlock scale rated up right down there, I should say. There's a good few matches on this show that could require the Hammerlock scale, but we'll get to that. I'll put it as a 5 out of 10 just because it was short, but so much going on. Okay. This really wasn't much of a match, was it? No. Um, so next we had... Juvie coming out with Psychosis, Hoovertude, Guerrera. Um, they're walking down to the ring, and um, the first thing I noticed, I don't know if you picked up on this, but Hoovy looks into the camera and does the hand and cheek signal for sucking a dick. Oh, I completely he missed that. He just looks into the camera, puts his hand to his cheek, does the whole... <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to say. <laughs> uh, so that, that just... Hoovy, yeah. yeah, I was just like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> Climbs under the turnbuckles, and in one of the things I do remember about WCW from this time, completely steals the Rock's gimmick. So finally, yes. the juice has come back to. Uh, he said the wrong town, actually, didn't say Florence, and they made fun of him on commentary for it. Oh wow! They they then walk around to the announce table and they cut a bit of a promo on Tony Schiavone trying to kick him out of there, but I couldn't understand a word they were saying. I think essentially, uh, in weeks prior or something, UV was on the Thunder broadcast team. <laughs> And he was disappointed about not being on the broadcast because he's got his arm in a sling, so he's got some kind of injury. Ah, I see. So they're finding stuff to do with him. Um, yeah, he calls Tony Schiavone Tony Jabroni. Yes, I did. Again, going back to this. Yeah, going back to this, he's basically nicking the Rock's gimmick. Um, he also says it's going to be a juicy night. <laughs> he, they try and kick Tony out of the, the broadcast and they get him up they, they threaten to pour water on him and stuff and the other two stick up for Tony a little bit but do you notice when he gets up and walks around from the desk because you, you always see them sort of from the waist up and it looks like he's got a nice suit on he's wearing jeans and white trousers. he's wearing jeans <laughs> I've, put, I've put here oh. we're about 10 minutes into to Thunder and I think Steve Jobs does wardrobe for WCW <laughs> 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 looks like a fucking idiot uh, uh, speaking of wardrobe uh, who comes out next Lee? Who does come out next? Uh, da, 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 da. I should have taken the money! <laughs> it's our famed commissioner, Terry Funk. Boots and all. Yeah, oh, he does. He, I've got it here. I don't know why I've got Cut's promo on Jeff Jarrett, but I didn't actually put his name on there, so I'm glad you got me on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah, so he comes out and he runs off Seacosis and Huvey. And he powerbombs. Yeah. Through the table. Through the table, yeah. <laughs> Just in the in the middle of a you know a nothing angle, power bomb through the table. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? 
he's, he's, he, you're right. He's on the mic. He's calling them out. Um, did you notice how many times he was bleeped out? I don't know what he was saying, but he must have been on a proper sweary rant. Uh, well, WCW back then would bleep just everything out. Oh, really? The, the, um, the standards and practices or whatever were really, really... Uh, well, there's a spot on that coming up that I'll get to, but yeah. Um, like even little words like screw... Like, if I say, screw you, they, they bleep out the screw. And there's a lot of that because they're playing off Montreal still, talking about how he's going to screw Bret Hart all through the show. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you catch that um, he wants to... Jeff Jarrett basically comes out and he, Funk wants Arn Anderson back and um, Jarrett says he wants to torture him for another hour or so before he gives him back. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh... So basically holding him hostage for a little while longer so the building's obviously got a lot of hidey holes because you think once they got him there he shouldn't be too hard to track down no he, he's he's not a well with his Al's shirt is all torn off at this stage so he's not a very inauspicious looking man at this point no you'd think you'd, and the size of Kevin Nash you'd think someone would probably spot a 7 foot guy and a 6 foot wide Scott Steiner torturing an old guy yeah. yeah, you know, but it is what it is. They've not got he um, Terry Funk has not got Arn Anderson back as of yet. Um, from there we go backstage, and Gene Oakland is with the Revolution, um, and I've got that Shane Douglas who's looking pretty puffed up at this point. He must have been on the Scott Steiner diet. Um, asked for a six man tag at the sold out pay per view, but um, they, they sort of take turns putting through their promos, and Saturn says an interesting line. He says that um. Like a midget at a urinal, you'll be on your toes. <laughs> and um, Dean, uh, Dean, I had that line as well. That yeah. too. Dean Malenko yeah. says um, that they'll get Hacksaw Jim Duggan to denounce America. And this is actually my probably fondest memory of making fun of WCW. Um, I said before that Nitro was on over here on a Monday night late and I very rarely watched it. But one week, my brother and I turned it on and we turned it on right as they had Hacksaw turning on America. Oh, really? Yeah. The commentators are just going, oh, I can't believe he's turned his back on America. And we're just sat there like, really? This is the guy we watched 15 years ago, looking old, talking about joining Canada. And we just, we couldn't take it seriously. That was probably the last time I really turned to watch WCW. Oh, yeah, I don't blame you. It was really getting on its last legs at that point. Yeah, 20 years later, if anyone ever says naughty hacksaw to me, I just lose it. <laughs> it's just terrible. Um, but the basis of that, anyway, backstage is they're looking for a six man tag. But they said something about having to find a mystery partner. So, not all a mystery partner, partner, yes. So, I didn't catch which one of them wasn't going to be in the match. Uh, I'd assume it was Douglas. Douglas again looked like he had a really heavy brace on his elbow or something. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um, I don't think it went ahead anyway. Oh, fair enough. Um, because of changes, can't subject to change or whatever. But yeah. Yes, I hear there might be a bit of that this week as well. I hear Becky Lynch is injured again, so. Yeah, some kind of neck injury. She might be out for a month or something. There's some weird injuries going on like that at the moment where people are out for short periods mm. of time, isn't there? Seth Rollins, just a dangerous worker, man. <laughs> yeah, he somehow did it from Raw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if Becky's got a significant other, she should check where Seth was this week. Uh, she's seen some MMA guy, I think. Oh, really? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, fair play to her. We go next to the NWA, NWA, NWO even, beating on Arne Henderson, and 
we skip right from that to a video of Harlem Heat, the issues being shown with Harlem Heat and Midnight. So I didn't, I've mm-hmm. probably never seen Midnight before this. So any thoughts on, on her? Completely forgotten about her until I watched WCW Mayhem a few months ago. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. She just turns up. Yeah, I don't know who she is. I've never seen her since. Not just me then. That's all right. This takes yeah. us to Gene bringing out Booker T, who basically says they've got to work on their issues, get everything back on track, which brings out Stevie Ray, and he's not happy with Midnight at all. He wants a match. Um, Stevie Ray's not the better promo of the two, if anyone didn't know that. It's probably not a spoiler by now. Um, but basically, yeah. he challenges Midnight, and if he wins, she's out, and if he loses, she's in. Uh, Stevie Ray has a funny way of pronouncing wrestle. Like, I want to wrestle tonight! Like, he said he... He said he didn't come to wrestle tonight, but he wants to wrestle tonight against Midnight. <laughs> Somehow makes himself sound uh, like the widest man on the card. Yeah. Um, did you notice Stevie Ray had some kind of like Mercedes Benz logo on his cap no. as well? <laughs> I don't know what that was about. Just some of the coming out and just. Show, hey? Well, yeah, fashion. Actually, <laughs> that's, a, that's a loose term for it. SmackDown's probably not a whole lot better later on, actually. So I'll save some of my. Questions. Oh yes, yeah. Um, we've got two cool coming up. So <laughs> <laughs> um, from there we go to our next match, um, and I didn't realize at first. I started taking notes before realizing it was a six-man tag. This is how bad the production was here coming into the match. But it's PG thirteen. They are still alive. I did not realize they were still around. And they do a rap far worse than anything they used to do back in the nation or pre-nation days. But it's actually them and Chavo Guerrero up against three count. Right, I had right PG thirteen. I started watching in nineteen ninety nine, so I have no clue who PG thirteen is. So I have here: who are these clowns? Haircut like Muppets. Weird pet tattoos. They. I only knew them from the nation days. They used to rap out the nation in the very early right. days of the Nation of Domination, but doing the show and going back and watching the 95 Raws, they actually came in, I think it was from the USWA, it was from one of the, you know, Smoky Mountains, something like that, um, were coming up to, to Raw, and they had a couple of decent matches on Raw that I've seen so far, but I think they were just too small. Okay. They didn't look big enough to compete with the Smoking Guns, certainly not with, like, the Blue Brothers or Yoko and Owen Hart, so... Mm. They just looked like... Uh, the other thing about... Yeah, go ahead. They just look like two regular guys sort of playing rapper wrestlers, don't they? Yeah. Uh, the other thing about this match, Foreign Object Central here. So Chavo comes out with a briefcase. <laughs> I didn't even see him come out. There you go. Uh, well, he, at the, at, around this time, he was doing like a travelling salesman gimmick. <laughs> like, they cut to clips of him on phone day and he trying to like flog some of the mid-card or some kind of, like, you know, amazing trinket or whatever. Um, and Free Count came out with their little green spots. I saw the green spots. I had no idea what they were for. We'll find out after the match, though. <laughs> we'll find out soon. Um, also, who are we supposed to like in this match? I've no idea. I get, Every, get, everyone comes across as a heel for me. I get this all through the show. Like, I can't figure out, like, um, Hoovertude and Psychosis, I guess, were meant to be heels, but they were pretty entertaining yeah. as the night goes on. Um, the girls at the, at the start, I guess, would say that Medusa was the face, but then Asia gets attacked and you've got sympathy for her. Like, I couldn't figure it out. But um, we're getting into the match, um, and we're told that actually three count will perform win, lose, or draw after the match, I think they said. So <laughs> that's interesting. 
Um, and we've got Evan Courageous starts off with one of the PG-13 and there's a couple of elbows and then they go back the other way. And within about 30 seconds, we've got a plancher over the top and everyone's brawling in the ring. So somehow in the fracas, Shannon Moore gets a three count. Um, you just can't keep up like I, I wrote about three words and the match was over and I had to rewind and watch the whole match again which took me about 20 seconds yeah blistering yeah, pace um, yeah at some point there was a nice clothesline by some PG-13 dude on Helms uh, was it this match uh, let me find it oh yeah so at one point one of the PG-13 guys the one dressed in red was getting clotheslined over the top rope and he took a total slow motion bump over the top just like <laughs> oh yeah that's that must be how um, i got to the outside because it just it ended straight away didn't it yeah yeah it is saved though by what comes after the match um i i'm not a wcw fan by any stretch but if i was this would be nostalgia for me watching three count perform this is right up my alley Free count are very much in boy territory for me. I really, <laughs> I, I typically like some of their wrestling as well. And this gimmick, man, just, I think it's really underappreciated, you know, the, the logic here. Like, oh, so, okay. Wrestling fans, big burly guys, typically, who, who do they typically hate? Well, there's loads of these boy bands around. Yeah, let's make a wrestling boy band then. Shane Helms gets on the boy band bubble when the Backstreet Boys are on, probably predates all the sort of Marvel DC movies as the Hurricane. I think if you saw him wrestling now, he'd have to be a hipster or something, I guess. Like, he's always up with what's going on. Yeah. But no, the performance was great. It was like shots in the ring spliced with like a music video, wasn't it? Just cutting it out. Yeah. I don't know what they were singing, but I loved it. Well, the thing is, this is not the Freak Out song I remember. I can't get you out of my heart thing. There's one that came after this where it's just like, one, two, three! <laughs> I guess this was a debut that's that's one. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've probably got a whole album somewhere in WCW Warehouse or something just waiting to be released. There is a w, like a best of WCW music compilation on like WWF, WWE's Spotify webpage or something. Oh, really? If yeah, if Free Counts music is not on there, it's, it's a travesty. They don't know what they're doing otherwise. It pro- well, actually, come to think of it, it probably won't be because Jimmy Hart will have written it and the WWE are very keen on like not paying Jimmy Hart wherever they can. He did, he did so many songs as well, didn't he? So mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, unfortunate. And we go next to David Flair walking. So the angry walking is a bit of a trope of wrestling at this time, isn't it? Before every ad break, someone's walking down an aisle. Mm. David Flair probably is the sore thumb of the group tonight. He's probably not going to intimidate anyone. Before we go to a video recap of a Tank Abbott-Jerry Flynn feud. Um, and it's, my notes just say this is moving way too fast. I'm probably missing loads of stuff. There's a lot of two seconds cut to something else, two seconds cut to something else. And... It is yeah. tough to keep up, so if we've missed anything in and out of ad breaks, hands up on that. Feel free to watch it. <laughs> um, and then we go next to the wall versus Jerry Flynn. And not just sorry, not just the wall versus Jerry Flynn. The wall versus Jerry Flynn in a shoot fight rules match. Yes, this will come up momentarily. <laughs> this is an interesting point. Before the match even starts, so I've just got that the wall looks like Scott Steiner had sex with one of the Harris twins, um, <laughs> and that Jerry Flynn looks like a pound shop Ryu. Uh, yeah, I've got wow Flynn's pajama pants. <laughs> Awful. Um. 
and also these two guys music is so so generic yeah there's a bit of that as well um not the only ones for the night but there's a lot of crap music on both these shows actually Oh yeah. Um, again, to continue on with the theme for the night, before a move throw, we've got someone else walking out. It's Tank Abbott this time. Uh, the commentators tell us, as you just said there, that it's a um, shoot fight rules, which means knockout or submission only. They tell us. <sighs> <laughs> Big sighs. We know what's coming up. <laughs> um, and Tank's making fun of them for um, their outfit as well. So he's he's on board with us there. The wall's basically wrestling in a shirt, pants, and tie, um, but he's no IRS, don't get your hopes up, people. <laughs> and it's a bit of a sloppy punch kick affair, this match. There's not a lot going on. It's pretty dull. Um, the wall, uh, sorry, not the wall, um, Jerry Flynn nails a good spin kick in the corner. Um, Irish whips him to the corner and does a running spinning heel kick, hits him and goes over the rope, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then Tank comes in and nails Flynn, um, which allows the wall to roll him up for a three count. So, yeah. So, knockout or submission only. (laughs) So just remember, kids, if you're ever in a shoot fight, aka a real fight, just roll someone up for the three count and you've won. Because WCW told you so. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming everyone's going to hear the disappointment in my voice recapping that match where he's rolled him up for a three count. Oh, it's just literally nothing. Um, I had, at one point, the wall took a second rope leg drop that missed. That looked really painful. Yeah. And, yeah, the... The thing about Jerry Flynn's spin kick in the corner, so he, he goes and he bumps all the way to the outside of the ring. That's a bit of wasted energy, really. Yeah, you'd think there's a risk of him hurting himself more than his opponent. Yeah. Tank comes in after the match anyway, looking to, to pick up where he left off, but security come out, and Tank Abbott commits the unspeakable atrocity of nailing Doug Dillinger, so that was interesting. And then the rest of them pretty much all just sort of stand there and look, petrified before Tank decides that he's done enough damage for one night. And then we've got... WCW sorry, WCW very fast and loose as far as assaulting authority figures go. Yeah. Apparently uh, so like at one point months previous they stripped Sting of the world title for assaulting a referee or something and then he just like beat up somebody else and they just don't care anymore. Yeah, the rules seem to come and go here. Um, there's a bit of it further on with the um this nwo terry funk stuff where i'm scratching my head as well um but it is what it is we, did you notice we, yeah we then pretty much skip backstage to terry funk nose to nose with david flair for like one second <clears throat> yes blink and you'll miss it yeah. yeah it was just a weird nothing <laughs> um and then we go to the next match which is jeff jarrett who comes out with a guitar and a wheelchair, a wheelchair, a wheelbarrow full of plunder uh, to take on mm. Norman Smiley. Oh, they have the internet on computers now. Right, and just a quick note, uh, the call was interrupted on the podcast, so we are doing part two, taking uh, back off from the Jeff Jarrett-Norman Smiley, Smiley match on Thunder. So going straight into the notes there, if anything doesn't make sense, that's why. And we're starting out with a, it's a US title match in a bunkhouse brawl with Jeff Jarrett defending the title. Um, so we start out with trash can shots and chair shots by Jarrett on the outside before heading back inside for assault with a deadly weapon with the broom. Uh, Norman Smiley comes back and hits a drop toe hold and some trash can lid shots before Jarrett comes off the ropes but gets caught by a low blow um, and all three commentators miss the spot. 
we get a bell shot by Norman Smiley and a close call, but Jarrett gets his foot on the ropes. Uh, Smiley, unfortunately, doesn't see this and gets up and celebrates uh, before Jarrett comes back with the guitar and the stroke for the three count. Um, so that's three matches by my notes so far without any really good action. What did you think about this one? Um, it, well, in the context, I suppose this is the first match where we had a clean finish, I guess, as well. True, yes. So it's part of the rules. Um, it's what, what it was. This is the first time we had a really short match where, you know, you could understand it being short. It was, you know, two guys who were on very different levels in the company. All right, Smiley's the hardcore champion, but he is evidently just a bit of a comedy jobber, really. Um, whereas the one the matches that went on beforehand, they were just really short, and both guys were on an even playing field. So it just made everyone look worthless. Here it's just you know making Jarrett look all right. Um, I thought it was perfectly serviceable. Uh, I liked the cowbell being involved. I thought with Smiley's. Yeah, yeah, nice little dusty callback, especially with Smiley's little wiggling gimmick as well. <laughs> That's a good fit for that. And this match, I guess, is all about the aftermath, which is going to pay off the big angle from Nitro. So after the match, yeah. we get the end. Of, uh, sorry, Terry Funk coming out first. Um, and I've got here that he. I can't even read my own notes. <laughs> Uh, David Flair comes out with him as well, sorry, and sneaks up behind Jeff Jarrett and starts choking him. Um, and Funk starts to beat him up a little bit and tells the NWO they've got two minutes to come out with Arn Anderson, throwing us to the commercial break. Um, yeah. We've got Nash comes out with the NWO. Um, and David Flair's doing the whole laughing thing here. He's taking away from it a little bit, but um, it is what it is. Um, I found this, mm. yeah, I found this a bit confusing because so Norman Smiley has a screaming gimmick. And as soon as David Flair starts uh, getting a hold of Jarrett with a crowbar, he starts laughing and stuff as well and screaming. And I thought Smiley was still around. I'm like, what? What? Where's Norman gone? What's going on? A little bit of gimmick infringement. Yes. Um, and then it becomes a rundown of different challenges. So first we get Nash challenges Terry Funk for a match at the pay-per-view. Um And Nash offers up right off the bat that if Funk wins the NWO 2000, we'll disband. Um, but Nash fires back with, if he wins, he's the commissioner, which Terry Funk accepts in no time flat uh, on the condition they make it a hardcore match. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NWO then, uh, we're told, are going to be barred from ringside, and Funk also demands a match with Bret Hart tonight, um, a hardcore match. They go for some rambling promos, backwards and forwards. Um, everyone seems to have forgotten the fact that Jeff Jarrett is being choked out in the ring and Arn Anderson has been beaten up for 72 hours on the ramp. <laughs> Um, so You'd the, think with all of this going on, how could have just snuck off yeah. <laughs> while they're bantering back and forth, just you know, hide away? Um, yeah, I loved it. This this is going back to what we were saying earlier about the commissionership on, in WCW. This is when it was on the verge of becoming more like a title. All sorts of people would wind up holding it and it get defended at several points. Um, we also, uh, I think we are, we're also mentioning about the censoring yeah, yeah. of certain things. At some point, they accidentally censored WCW <laughs> when Funk was challenging Brett. I thought that was appropriate. Wasn't quite a swear word yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, the promos were, were a thing of beauty as well, with Terry Funk basically saying that he didn't want the title from Brett, and then Brett firing back with, you want the title. It, it made no sense whatsoever, did it? Yeah, blatantly didn't hear each other there. Yeah, so 
Terry Funk being the babyface commissioner, he knows Sid's got his shot coming up at Sold Out and he doesn't want to conflict with that, which is why he's just challenging Brett just to um, humble him in front of his peers, I think the phrase was. Yeah, something along those lines. And um, we go there, they sort of exchange the two bodies, so Jeff Jarrett's given back and Arn Anderson's allowed to walk down the ramp. But Arn, obviously, you know, several days more beaten up, he's a bit slower, but despite not having the energy to crawl down the ramp, he does have enough to give Jarrett a quick dig on the way back, and that does him no favours because they get a few more shots in while Funk and Flair just stand in the ring looking a bit stupid. Arn, in one of the earlier backstage skits, has a really, really great I'm being choked face. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, fantastic the, the best part of that whole segment for me was while all the dueling promos were going on the odd man out really was Scott Steiner who wasn't involved in anything and every now and again he'd just give Arn Anderson a quick dig with the bat for the sake of it yeah I, yeah, I really have no memory of Steiner being in the NWO 2000 at all it was always the outsiders Jarrett and Brett for me yeah it's really surprising to see Steiner here and not being given a microphone, not being given a fucking mic. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. my mind, he goes from WrestleMania 9 to sort of the year 2001 dominating heel. It just happens in the blink of an eye. There's no transformation in my memory whatsoever. <laughs> After that, we go to a, um, a really bad uh, Disco Inferno Sopranos knockoff skit um, where he goes in and basically he's going to take some... Um, He's got to take some protection money from a shop uh, and he goes in and he's a bit weaselly and offers his Rolex to get it before going out and claiming that he'd beaten him up. So what did you think about that? That was very weird. It's this weird um, Disco Inferno earlier, well, uh, at the end of the prior year had these debts to the Mafia. So now he's doing all these jobs for Tony Marinara. <laughs> you can believe some of these names in WCW back then. Uh, ECW fans will know him as Tony Mamaluke and yeah Johnny the Bull and Big Vito quite Mm, quite quite the group (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah you've got to see it to believe it it was it was pretty cheesy but it, it was entertaining in a weird way um, yeah. From there, we've got Terry Funk backstage with Arn Anderson, and Terry Funk, despite being the commissioner, is unable to find anyone to give medical assistance to Arn. Um, so that worked out quite well for him. And Stevie Ray comes in saying that he wants uh, Booker T barred from ringside, which Terry Funk just sort of waves off without really giving an answer. I think at one point he just blatantly says, oh, "I don't care, Stevie." You know, <laughs> making making Funk look really, really good at his job here at this point. What a company that can make you give up on wrestling within seven days. <laughs> and yeah, so at some point, commentary seemed to make out like, oh, Scott Hudson was like, oh yeah, that's totally an official ruling. So yeah, Booker T's bound from ringside. <laughs> what? What, what promo did you hear? Yeah, this certainly smacks of the script didn't get distributed before bell time. It maybe would have done maybe about five minutes on, into being on air. Yeah, something along those lines. Um, from there we go to Stevie Ray up against Midnight and my first notes is just about how huge Midnight is. She's really jacked and muscular and yeah, she she looks almost the size of Stevie Ray. I think the shock value as well um, in her size is helped somewhat by her entrance, which is just a bell tolling, a blackout in the arena and then she just appears in the ring. She's like, yeah. whoa, where'd this woman come from? You know? yeah. I, I, wonder, I wonder whatever became of her because I, I certainly... Uh, a woman this size you'd think could do some damage in wrestling these days with the the whole women's revolution thing going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've not heard a heap of her from, like, from this point onwards, no? Uh, unfortunately, just 
uh, she's nearly the size of Stevie Ray, but her wrestling ability is even worse. So the match isn't anything to write home about. Um, Stevie uh, gets on the offense early with a nice drop kick and a 10 punch count, but we get a really awkward reverse of an Irish whip and, an, and a rough looking clothesline by Stevie Ray. Um, and then he just starts pounding away and hits a big lariat, a slam and an elbow drop for a two count, but it would have been a three had he not pulled her up off the mat. Um, he then goes into a snapmare and a knee and two and again lifts her up off the mat before putting on a chin lock for a rest spot despite being in total domination. Um, yeah, I could have sworn this was our first rest hold of the night as well. I think probably... No other match has been long enough to warrant a rest hold, I don't think. Sadly, this one wasn't either. <laughs> and he, he, he puts on a poor sidewalk slam and pulls out the slapjack, which brings out Booker T, uh, reversing the very official ruling from previous segment. Um mm. Stevie Ray hands over the slapjack, power slams her, and in what I wrote as the worst cradle slash roll-up since Austin and Owen Hart, uh, Midnight lifts both her arms and legs off the mat like a turtle as Stevie Ray comes down to pin her and rolls him up for a three count. Um, after the match, all three hug it out, seemingly made up, and Stevie Ray's accepted the fact that she's joining the group before nailing them both with a slapjack, turning heel and stomping them in the process. What did you think about the angle? I mean, the surprising thing about it was the fans were quite into it. And I wonder if that's just because they're into Booker T. Because, I mean, all right, it's it's logical to have him somewhat involved with Stevie Ray. But this kind of felt like a bit beneath Booker T at this point in his run, I thought. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Um, I'm not... Not being familiar with the time frame, I'd be interested to see how long they do sort of clutch onto each other before Booker moves on to bigger and better things. Uh, if I can recall, our dear friend Ahmed Johnson turns up at some point. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, we get the new Harlem Heat. I'm assuming with Stevie yeah. Ray, not with Booker T. With Stevie Ray, yes. <laughs> Thank there's this big, There's this big protracted thing about the naming rights to Booker T's name, so he loses the T from his name oh, because no. Ar- Ahmed Johnson is big T. Okay, that's we'll, we'll have to come back and review something with those on it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That sounds like a... After that, we go to Gene backstage with the Filthy Animals. Um, but Hoovertood Guerrera comes in and he gives Gene a blonde lady in return for having his interviewer's gig. Um, a little bit strange. I, I know you were recalling about the whole thing with Hoovy. This was uh, to get over his injuries, to keep him active. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you notice he's got a, his arm in a sling or something. But yeah, Gene's reaction to seeing this woman is hilarious. <laughs> oh, look at me! Oh. <laughs> He's the Scrooge McDuck of females. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about uh, Gene, he has this great stick with Conan, where Conan's wearing some sort of fancy uh, accessory in his outfit, and he, he kind of invites Gene in. Okay, go on, have a feel. That's enough! <laughs> that was a little running banter they had in all their interviews. Yeah, one of the few people that Gene would sell for in WCW, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, from there, we go to the best commercial I've seen in wrestling to date for the podcast, a WCW MasterCard ad. And when you consider where they were a year after this, the jokes do write themselves for that. Hurry up and get it, because then you can get one with the new WCW logo on it. <laughs> AKA the last WCW logo. Yeah. Um, we go to Gene heading to the ring with the blonde lady that he's acquired, I guess, from Hoovertude. Um, and he says a line that I found quite cringeworthy. He says, wait there at ringside while I conduct my business, and then we'll go back to the hotel and conduct our business. So no beating around the bush for Gene. 
Just prior to that, there was a little backstage shot of Terry Funk preparing for his match with Brett, and he looked on the verge of tears. Like, you know, he's really questioning why he's challenged this Brett bloke at all. Should have retired years ago. <laughs> I should have taken the murder. You're an old man. <laughs> um, after this, Gene brings out DDP to that classic self-high-five theme. Um, brilliant. I love DDP's theme back then. Um, really suited him. And um, DDP comes out to cut a promo on Buff, who the I guess the allegations are that his Buff has been sleeping with Kimberly. Um, and DDP flat out says, Buff ain't doing my wife, Kimberly. Um, he then begins to run down Buff a little bit, um, talking about how his wife left him because he was always cheating on her, talking about how women love him, but so do the guys, and then um, insinuating that he's got a small dick and that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Out comes Buff for a brawl. This is my dick move of the night for me. I, I know... Um, Oklahoma was pretty bad, but as an insult, saying, "Oh well, oh look, he's the kind of guy that guys fancy." How is that an insult? Which is so what? You know? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was right up there, wasn't it? Certainly a sign of the times. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about buff stuff not being big enough, I don't buy that at all. This is a man who went out and got calf implants. <laughs> if his stuff wasn't big enough, he'd go out and do something about it. I'm sure. Yeah, maybe he could tuck in that bottle that he threw at Shane Elms. Oh, Shane Elms threw at him. <laughs> um, we then cut backstage. Brett's taping up, um, getting ready for the match. And we've got the artist in a bit of a studio skit here. Um, this is when I got you to fill me in on it. It was the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea and a um, bit of a personality profile for him. It's very unusual seeing this kind of thing on a WCW show for me because I usually associate these kind of vignettes with the WWF. You know, purely character-based. It's just kind of as an introduction to, you know, his personality and, and who the character is. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was good, though. Um, a little bit hard to see with the filtering, but but definitely a good skit. Um, from there, we've got Gene Oakland leaving with the blonde, um, obviously going to conduct their business. And Hoovy taking over his position is interviewing Bam Bam Bigelow. But before he can get a word out, Champagne Chris Canyon nails him from behind with a bottle of champagne. Um hey. Yeah, living up to the gimmick. Nash comes out next and grabs a sign from the crowd that said Scott Hall made wrestling and puts it on display nice and proudly. Um, up next, it's due to be Bam Bam to come out for the match, but Scott Steiner and Jeff Jarrett catch up with him backstage, beat on him a little bit, toss him into a wheelbarrow, and take him out to ringside. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty certain this is... So, sorry, uh, in his... Bunkhouse Brawl match, Jarrett came out with a wheelbarrow full of weapons. I'm willing to bet it's the same wheelbarrow. Yeah, they're not springing for two. No. <laughs> um, the, so the one thing about Bam Bam earlier, when he was getting interviewed by Yuvi, uh, he sounded so upset when he realised he wasn't getting interviewed by Gene. Like, oh, come on, Gene, what's going on? Where's Gene? <laughs> Messing with his process. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Nash is then basically just starts beating him up with the baseball bat, hitting him in the ribs and, and the body but then hits the worst baseball bat shot I've ever seen, stopping about six inches short of Bam Bam's face. So as um, DDP insinuated with buff, six inches can make a difference. (laughs) 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 Wasn't the best looking shot. Um, After that, we've got Kidman um, and Conan from the Filthy Animals to take on David Flair and Crowbar for the tag team titles. Uh, They're coming out with Daphne. 
Crowbar and Billy Kidman start the match off. We've got a, a good flying head scissors from Kidman uh, before Crowbar fires back with a good back elbow. Uh, Hurricane rounded by Kidman and a drop kick before David Flair comes in and hits a clothesline and a suplex of his own for a two count. Uh, Billy Kidman hits a nice sort of sky high power bomb. Um, you said it was the the BK bomb or something, was it? BK bomb. That's right. BK bomb. That gets a two count um, before. Uh, Crowbar and Flair botch a blind tag effort. Takes about three or four goes to actually tag. Um, and we've got Crowbar coming in, hitting a slam, and the guillotine sort of the flipping leg drop from the apron. Yeah, yeah. Oris today puts it. There's the move! The move. <laughs> the move! Surprising from today. I thought he was the one that knew every move. He's the, Yeah, well, he's the one they drag out if they were having a Japanese match or... Uh, a cruiserweight championship match, they bring him out so that someone could actually call the hordes and stuff because, you know, Dusty and Shivani and Bray wouldn't have had any chance with them. I guess the, the rot's really set in if Tanae's given up calling the moves. <laughs> yeah. Conan breaks up the pin before coming in, hitting a DDT um, on Flair and a re- released German suplex by Crowbar on Billy Kidman uh, before going up for the powerbomb but being counted into the face buster. Do not try and powerbomb Billy Kidman. That's exactly it. I have here, don't powerbomb Kidman, you idiot. (laughs) Uh, And I also also have, uh, pull up your pants, Conan, for God's sake. (laughs) Yeah, looks like a proper tit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've got uh, Billy Kidman's going up for a shooting star press, but David Flair blocks, um, basically knocks him off the apron. Uh, then they get Kidman up on the ape, on the turnbuckle, sorry for a runner, but Rey Mysterio grabs the back of his trousers and holds on to block it. Uh, before Billy Kidman um, comes back with a clothesline off the top, and Arn Anderson, in his dishevelled state, wanders out to ringside. Conan comes in and hits both of them with clotheslines, um, an X-Factor, and Arn Anderson nails Conan with a crowbar, not the crowbar, uh, allowing David Flair to pick up the three count. What did you think about the tag match? Uh, this is the first thing on this show that actually sort of resembled a serviceable wrestling match for me. Uh, Kidman and Crowbar, especially when they were in there together, I thought they were really good together. Crowbar really surprised me and impressed me with some of his moves and the reach he had on his kicks as well. Like when Kidman was up on the ropes, he could still reach his midsection. Uh, it got a little bit sloppy when Conan had that hot tag. I thought it was rather awkward. So when he was clotheslining people, it kind of looked like he was trying to clothesline. He laid David Flair out and then he like tried to clothesline Crowbar onto him. Yeah, yeah. Trying to like land on each other. It was a little awkward. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was like a planned like take out both of them spot or if it was just David Flair being crap. Yeah, strong possibility. Yeah, um, shame about the non-finish, but yeah, this is my favourite thing on the show. I think. Yeah, it's probably what about ten, fifteen minutes from Arn Anderson being in desperate need of medical attention as well. Um, I would think after being kidnapped for three days, at you know a shower, a drink of water, and a hot meal might be the first order of business. But keeping yeah. David Flair with the tag straps obviously ranks right up there. Um, after the match, we've got the Revolution come out to brawl with the Filthy Animals. Filthy Animals fight back, getting a hold of any weapons they can find, and it's a bit of a cluster before we head to another commercial break. And we come back for the main event: Brett the Hitman Hart up against Terry Funk in a hardcore match. Um, Early on, Brett's all over Funk. He really does take take the early advantage uh, before Funk just sort of bails to ringside and starts throwing chairs in, one of which he throws a little too viciously and a little too low, and it bounces back at him off the ropes. Uh, yes. 
and when it bounces back, it lands almost perfectly upright. You could practically sit on that chair the way it lands. It's great. I bet you couldn't do that twice. No. Uh, Brett then sends Funk's head into a chair on the mat. Um, he starts hitting some baseball bat shots before they head back outside for some more brawling and a really big unprotected chair shot by Brett. It was pretty sickening, actually, especially in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, Funk then basically um, gets some left hands to Brett and sends it back to the outside yet again. Uh, hits a running chair shot to Brett, a little bit weaker. Obviously, Brett's got the, the hands up as he should. Uh, and we're told that members of the power plant elite are sat at ringside. Didn't catch any of the faces, but I'm assuming that's some of the guys we'd see in the late days of WCW. No, I completely missed this. Yeah, yeah, they did use a lot of power plant guys to fill out the roster in 2000, especially when... Russo and Bischoff were like in the coalition in charge. They were very keen on the sort of youth movement. So. The one I always regret not getting the proper chance was um, Sean O'Hare when he came into to WWE, I guess it was, by the time he was there. I thought he had a lot of potential, so I was a little bit disappointed that they paired him with Piper and it just sort of died off. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I really liked him. And Palumbo was all right with me as well um, as a tag guy. Actually, there's a funny story about Chuck Palumbo. The morning of my wedding, my mate Mark was over from Ireland, and that was what we decided to do the morning, doing while my wife was off, spending however many hours they get ready, watching the Billy and Chuck wedding to prepare. Oh, dear. <laughs> that's that's a tragic story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> getting, getting back to the match, however, before I embarrass myself any further, um, there's more outside brawling uh, trash can shots, um, and there's a... A bit of a spot here where Terry Funk puts Bret Hart into uh, sort of like a, not a wheelbarrow, but sort of a cart of some sort, and just near the bottom of the ramp and takes him a couple of steps and tips him out, and Bret Hart sort of tumbles out, really awkwardly looking. And this is, I believe, referenced in his book where he talks about how he, he'd had the concussion from the Goldberg match. Was it a few days before this, maybe? And a few weeks. It had been at Starcade, he had the actual concussion. Okay, and then they made him wrestle Goldberg again the next night, which didn't help. Yeah, so you could definitely see here from this point forward in the match, Brett's out of it. Um, I'm pretty sure he does reference in his book that he took a bit of a knock here and was not, not right after this. We go back into the ring and uh, Funk misses a moonsault and um, Brett's holding his head on the floor. Really, he, he looks drunk on the mat, to be honest. Uh, it's funny you say that. There was a sign in the crowd that said, Drunk Terry Funk. <laughs> yeah, they got that the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brett then gets another sick unprotected chair shot to Funk and it's quite surprising that Funk didn't join him with a concussion here at this point. Um, Brett looks, uh, uh, my note here says he looks drunk as he goes to pilmanize the ankle of Terry Funk. He takes a, an age to get the chair around Funk's ankle and then comes off the ropes with his patented second rope elbow to it, but it, it took a long time to set that spot up. Um, then we get Arn Anderson in the back shown trying to put on a referee shirt, but David Flair takes it from him, um, says he'll handle it, and locks Arn Anderson in a room in a weird spot because he's he's laughing and we weren't quite sure what was going on there. Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of jarring because commentary make it, um, they kind of make it out like, oh, he's being very protective of Arn here, locking him, keeping him away from the NWO, but he's laughing like a maniac and it seems like, you know, he's, he's got something planned yeah, so it's a little bit of a weird spot. It doesn't sort of suit the character to be protective of Uncle Arn or Godfather no. Arn, whatever it was. Um, anyway, we do get Flair out. 
Um, the NWO come out as well, and we've got Jarrett and Steiner beating on Funk while Nash takes uh, shots on David Flair, which brings out Crowbar, and the NWO end up beating up on all of them. And to end the show, we get Kevin Nash jackknife powerbombing Terry Funk through the stage in a really impressive-looking spot that wasn't really followed up on with the seriousness it deserved, in my opinion. It was just literally the show closer. Oh, Funk's been powerbombed and seen. Yeah, I compared it to um, the Terry Funk and Cactus Jack being thrown off the stage by the Outlaws and the weight and the gravitas that was afforded. This was probably a more impressive-looking spot with not even half of the attention. What um, were your yeah, well, it's kind of like a bit of a callback to Bischoff getting powerbombed. Yeah, absolutely. All the way back at the Great American Bash that time. Um, I, I just wanted to mention, so there was at one point where... Um, NWO beating up David Flair and Jarrett was sliding him back in the ring and Flair's face smacked right against uh, Trash Cannon was already in the ring. It was brilliant. <laughs> he is awkward, Just wonderful it? time. Oh, yeah. Well, what um, were your early thoughts on the show? Good Lord, the state of it. I mean, as someone who came into wrestling through... WCW in 1999. I, I'm probably a wee bit more desensitized to all this than most people, but still, you can tell something's not right with this company at all. Talk about going out with a bang on the Thursday night war, hey? Oh, yeah. Um, just so many just worthless matches, really. If they don't get the time to do anything, um, the nobody really gets over from this. Is how many guys they've got on that roster that can go as well. Yeah, um, I mean, they, they kept a few people off this show, like Sid and Luger. Um, Benoit was missing as well. Um, yeah, this is right around the point where like all of their best workers were about to leave, really. Yeah, you can definitely... Well, it would be within a couple of weeks, I think, that Benoit, Guerrero, Malenko and Saturn all show up on Raw, maybe two weeks yeah. from this. Literally the end of January, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, it was the night after the Rumble, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sounds about right to me. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, that's Thunder done, so we'll um, take a quick pause here and then come back and see what SmackDown's got to offer. SmackDown, which comes to us from Orlando, Florida. Our commentary team are Michael Cole and Jerry the King Lawler. And we start with a recap. 
opening the Big Show's first title reign and starting Triple H's third title reign and finishing up with a celebration from Degeneration X. We then open up with um, Stephanie talking to DX backstage, but she sort of stood with Triple H and the other three are on a couch and she's demeaning them a little bit. Um, she's calling the road dog Roadie, which popped me. Um, and she's telling them they should have beaten The Rock on Raw in a three-on-one handicap match, which would have led to The Rock being fired, um, but they haven't, and now they're all going to be in matches, which they see as punishment, but she's trying to say it's an opportunity. Um, she puts X-Pac up against The Big Show, Billy Gunn up against The Acolytes in a two-on-one match, and Triple H will face a random opponent for the title. She hasn't got Road Dogs match set as of yet. Uh, the other three make some disgusted vomit faces as her and Triple H kiss to end the segment. Um, there was one point X-Pac was giving out about having to face the big show and Triple H tried to kind of motivate him he was like hey well no I beat him last week and you're just as every bit as good as I am like yeah sure yeah no one's believed that since Backlash when Triple H first turned heel yeah yeah they've been on complete opposite trajectories since then (laughs) Um, we then get the show opening, which is the classic SmackDown video, which reminds me of the PlayStation 1 game. Love seeing this. And then just a glut of pyro and signs everywhere. So really Attitude Era open this. Yeah, I have here loads of roof pyro. Um, the one thing about the opening titles that irked me a little bit, being a bit pinnickety here, it's all clips of people from Raw. So you can see the red ring ropes in all the clips. Now, the show's been on the air for a few months now. You know, surely get some shots of him in SmackDown so that it matches the, you know, the, the colour scheme of the show. Yeah, plenty of big moments have happened for them to grab as well with Vince's title reign and Arnold Schwarzenegger and whatnot. Mm. We then go to our opening contest, which is the Big Show up against X-Pac. Um, the Big Show seems to be really over here. Um, massive pop as he comes out. And we get X-Pac coming out in an entrance that just takes me right back to my teenage years with the classic DX jersey, with the bucket hat, with the the DX green and black uh, video filter coming over the top of him walking out, and then his X-Pac pyro with the crotch chops just really took me back straight away. Plenty of great pyro in this match. Big Show's pyro as well, I really, really liked it. They kind of mistimed it here. Usually it'd be like in time with the drum beats to the opening of the song. It always looked really awesome. Still, it looked pretty good. Um, I thought the the little splices of X Park's Titantron here were way more gratuitous than I remember them being. It was just like you get five seconds of X Park in the arena, and then okay, he's back to his Tron, and then five seconds of him in the arena, like oh, I'm back to his Tron, and oh wait, he's doing the fireworks quick. It gave me a bit of a headache to be honest. Big Show goes on the offense early here and knocks X-Pac to the outside, uh, which is basically just an excuse to show his strength, picking him up and gorilla pressing him back in over the top rope. Uh, comes in and hits a big Irish whip and an elbow and sort of a double-handed Baldo bomb chokeslam type move uh, before then basically standing on X-Pac with all his weight and choking him, which Mike Kyoto tries to break up. He shoves Mike Kyoto, earning himself a disqualification, and then hits him with a nasty choke slam, which he appears to immediately apologise to Mike Kyoto for. Um, before yeah. X Pac comes in, yeah, let, sorry, go on. Let's not underplay this here. So he he, he was uh, while he was on X Pac, he shoved the ref off, and the referee flew halfway across the ring. It was amazing. Yeah, it was. It, Mike Kyoto was bumping here. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I noticed the same thing about after he choke slammed him, kind of, sort of tenderly put his hand on his cheeks, like, "Oh, you okay, Mike?" 
Yeah, definitely look to be having some words of sympathy for the big choke slam. Um, X Park comes in with a chair, which Big Show no sells, and then hits him. He punches a chair into X Park's face, uh, bringing out referees to try and calm the Big Show down. Always love that spot. Yeah, the chair punch. Great noise. We've then got Y2J, China, and the cat walking backstage. And Jericho says to China, it's a fate worse than death to be with you and your ridiculous little buddy, which is a good line that popped me. Jericho in 2000 could do no wrong. We go to um, the Hollies up against Jericho and China. And another sort of retro moment for me when they announced the Hollies is weighing in at way over 800 pounds. Um, before we go to China's music, which again popped me for the don't treat me like a woman, don't treat me like a man, um, classic entrance. <laughs> Love that theme. Uh, I'm guessing you watch this on the network, Lee. Yes. I actually found myself a rip of the broadcast version from UPN, and they run through the show sponsors at this time, so it was WWF The Music Volume 4, available at warehouse music stores everywhere. Um, WrestleMania 15 on DVD. The Raging Climax. The Raging Climax, only about eight months too late. Yep. And uh, AOL, ironically enough. Yes. Um, I did some research into this. They would literally make their takeover of Time Warner within the next week. Wow. And the filing would go through the next month officially. I wonder if they kept on sponsoring the WBF after that. I'm not sure. Um, you'd think not, but then again, there wasn't quite all this like corporate synergy back then that there was then. Like, I don't know if you remember back a couple of years prior to this, Eric Bischoff was always on the lookout to try and get... He was like trying to sort out a New Year's show on NBC. Yes, yes, I do remember. Which is always strange to me because Raw was still on USA at the time, which is another NBC Universal channel. Yeah, interesting the way it was back then, I suppose. Mm. Um, the match itself, uh, we get to Bob Holly jumps Jericho straight away, but Jericho fires back with a nice forearm and some big chops before Holly hits the best-looking dropkick in wrestling for my money. Um, and I see a sign in the crowd that just says, Why too gay? <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, Holly is very stiff in this match, as you'd expect. Yeah, Bob Holly trait. Crash comes in next, and in another moment of don't try this move on somebody, he goes for a hurricanrana on Jericho, which he catches into a walls of Jericho. Uh, but Bob Holly breaks it up. Uh, Jericho then does one of my favourite moves that he used to have in his set, which was the underhook uh, suplex into the backbreaker. Um, he knocks Bob out of the ring, but then Crash whips Jericho to the ropes, and Bob Holly low bridges him. China comes to check on Jericho, who's not receptive, so she nails him with a clothesline, tosses him back in the ring, and Bob Holly, in a rare win with his finisher, nails the Falcon Arrow for the three count. Yeah, this is this is one of those old wrestling myths for me. Like I, in all the games, his finisher would be the Falcon Arrow, but I never see him win a match with a Falcon Arrow. It's like, oh my god. It's a great white shark he is. It's so rare. The only finish rarer than the Dominator. Yeah. Uh, after that, we go back to the Mankind... Im- oh, sorry, not back to, for the first time for the night, the Mankind Impersonator at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of wandering around, making a bit of a nuisance of himself. Um, <laughs> then we've got Tori coming in, needing to use Stephanie's bathroom in a really awkward moment. Um, not too long after that, the road dog pops into the dressing room and Stephanie tells him that Triple H is in the bathroom waiting for him. And when he goes in, Tori gets a bit of a fright and road dog comes out pretty angry at Stephanie. 
it's just so, so weird. weird. Cause Cause the, you, 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 want you want to use, use the bathroom. The bathroom. So, so, okay, okay I'll, I'll go, go to, to the people who are basically, basically running, running the company, company at this point's point's bathroom, bathroom, you know. You know. Makes, makes perfect. perfect. Uh, the other uh, thing, thing about, about the mankind, mankind impersonator, do you remember who it was? Yes, Midian. Midian, Midian, yes, right before he got impersonation. Right before he got naked. (laughs) Another impersonation of mankind in the fact that they're both two people I don't want to see naked. (laughs) Yeah, 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 like you spot on. on. Um, um, When I was was a kid kid growing growing up, up, um, like one one of the first big big angles I remember remember is uh, a few weeks weeks after after the show, actually, when when mankind mankind came came out, out, Challenge to play for the Rumble, Rumble but then, then revealed the old mankind. It was Captain Jack, Jack making the challenge. challenge. And I got, I got so, so confused, confused because, because the fake mankind is there as well. well. So, so I, I, I didn't realise Captain Jack mankind were the same person. person. So, so I thought, thought Captain Jack, Jack had dressed up as mankind to imitate him to get his title shot. And then the fake mankind was the real mankind. It was attacking Captain Jack. Oh, what are you doing? Only WCW would make a fake character a real character. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. What's what, saying, saying that uh, Dizel is Okay, I, I stand corrected. <laughs> 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 a, a moment that everyone has hoped to forget. Yeah. yeah. Um, we then get a recap of the Dudley Boys and the Mean Street Posse uh, beating down the Acolytes with their one arm time behind their ma- uh, back. Sorry. Um, before coming back for our next match, which is Billy Gunn taking on the Acolytes in a two-on-one handicap match. Um, he gets a pretty quick start coming in and hitting some offense, believe it or not. Um, a nice-looking DDT on Farouk and some good punches on Bradshaw. Um, but the Acolytes take over pretty quickly. Um, Farouk in a pretty funny spot while Billy Gunn's on the ground throwing some crotch chops his way. Yeah, thing about Billy starting, starting this match, match he, he runs run into, into the, the ring... ring. Like, like belly, belly down. 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 I wouldn't have thought that was a very, very, very wise, wise thing, thing to do with some, some people, people like the Acolytes. acolytes but, but, you know, you know, it did, did work, work out, out for him, him. strangely enough. Strange yeah, Jerry Lawler even mentioned on commentary, this would be the slowest walk of my life, um, if that were me. <laughs> I can't blame him. Uh, the Acolytes fight back with a double sh- shoulder block on the future one Billy Gunn uh, before Bradshaw hits the clothesline from hell, turning him inside out. That bump is just magnificent. King, King asks King King whether, whether Billy's, Billy's head is still, still on after that. that. Rightfully so. <laughs> um, we then get the back suplex into the neck breaker, sort of the reverse 3D when the Dudleys do it. Um, this brings out Road Dog, who Farouk hits his spine buster on, and all four of them brawl into the ring. Um, and when we go backstage, Kane's in with Triple H and Stephanie, demanding a match with the Road Dog. Um, and Stephanie okays that Triple H is wondering what happened exactly. Yeah, yeah, not, not just, just a road, road dog, dog that pervert road, road dog. dog. Yes. Um, we then, I, I believe we had um, Road Dog when we come back from the commercial was backstage, wasn't he, with Triple H and Stephanie as well? Yeah, yeah so, so he, he just sprinted, sprinted away, away from the APAA, the brawling crowd and stuff. And he was actually kind of exhausted, which I quite like. And then Triple H just kind of casually that, oh, if Billy gets involved in your match, you might have to let him go. And then Road Dog's like, like, what? what? I've got a match? What? 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 So then so he, has he has to, to go away, away and uh, um, go, go and face, face his fate, so, so to speak. Indeed. Um, and we've got Kane coming out first, and then Road Dog doesn't get his introduction, gets as far as, oh, you didn't know. Uh, Cole <laughs> takes over for him, though, saying Road Dog's ass better call the EMT. So a bit of sass from Michael Cole there. <laughs> 
And um, Kane comes into the aisle to meet him, starts beating on him, uh, puts him in the ring and pummels him. And Michael Cole really painfully starts to paint the angle coming up with Tori turning heel, saying how Kane has blind, unconditional love for Tori in a really... You know, you could see that was a line that was scripted backstage because he puts it in about four times in the match and just sort of really awkward foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah they, they, they also, also make mention, mention about how, how Tori hasn't, hasn't been the same, same since the weekend with X-Pac as, as well. well. Yes, uh, no prizes for guessing what went on there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we get a nice top rope. Uh, sorry, jumping ahead of myself there. Kane hits a nice suplex um, and a slam with a weird leg drop, sort of on an awkward angle, leaning back too far. Um, and then takes Road Dog's head off with a huge big boot and his classic top rope clothesline. Slaughtered, Slaughtered him with that, with that big boot. boot. It was a really, really good, good bump from Road, Road Dog here. This brings out X-Pac to make the save. Um, Billy Gunn was the only one threatened to be let go. Um, this allows the Road Dog to low blow Kane on the outside while he's distracted and hit a DDT on the ramp. Um, and... I said here that the, there's interference like in WCW. I know I bagged them a little bit for it, but the production catches it perfectly and it has gravitas. Like it means something when, when it's done here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back in the ring, Road Dog goes for the, hits the shake, rattle and roll punches. Doesn't knock Kane down, hits him with a forearm, knocking him down, but then misses his sort of jiggly dancing knee uh, before Kane hits him with a choke slam and a tombstone for the one, two, three. Yeah, yeah, this, this is, is the first, first match on the show for me, for me where, where, all right, right the first, first three matches was very, very much sort of servicing an angle rather than the, the in-ring action, action being the most important part, part but, but they, they didn't disgrace themselves in the ring or anything. Um, um, up to that, that point, this, this match was just a little bit too dull, the kind of offense they had really, just a plain old brawl, cane in control, lots of face rates and stuff. Yeah, Road Dog's not quick enough to have this kind of match with Kane. No, no. Um, from there, we've got The Rock backstage looking ready to fight in his in his gear. And Triple H is uh, telling Stephanie in their office that he'll be taking on Kurt Angle. Um, a little bit of Triple H getting his own back for Stephanie calling Kurt Angle cute. Yes, yes I, did I did not, not realise they'd, they'd sown the seeds of angle so early. early. Yeah, um, I think it was SummerSlam before the first match took place in the angle as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We then go back to Fake Mankind at Universal Studios um, before seeing the slam of the week, which was Steve Blackman nailing Kurt Angle with the kendo stick. Yes, yes the, the one one collect collect slam, slam of the week. Of the week. Yes. Um, um, as I should mention as well, as well so like I said, said, I found, found the, 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 the broadcast version and some, some of the adverts have been kept, kept in. Uh, uh, the prior commercial break, break, we had another Titan Live toy stage. that. I, 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 I didn't have, have that one. one. I had the one, one later, later on that was, was the one, one that like smacked down. down. I loved, I loved it. it. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically for, um, um, viewers, viewers too young, young uh, uh, listeners, listeners too young, young this, um, um, your action, action figures used to have a little chip in their boot and you place them on the stage and then entries you could play for you. It's amazing technology to do that, man. Also, I've got WWF New York which may be cool. Always wanted to go there. I have eaten in the in the um the Hard Rock Cafe that's replaced it since, but I, I always uh, wanted to watch a show in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, then Ram Ram was a, a, a mankind chef, chef by ID. ID yeah, and, and uh, ends with the tagline: "It's a perfect ravioli for all mankind." A good pun to end the whole thing. Yeah. Um. We then, sorry. 
we go to The Rock up against Kurt Angle, and The Rock gets the biggest pop of either show so far. It is monstrous. He then cuts a promo on the sort of outside of the turnbuckle, which I found a little strange. Um, the highlight of which calling DX the Rudy Poo Crew. Uh, <laughs> the Rudy, Rudy, you you threw every member of a Rudy, Rudy Poo Crew, crew a rock. rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, massive, massive rock, rock chance. chance. And signs, just the whole thing. The whole arena is behind him, which you just Lost. don't see in a babyface anymore. No, no um, um, the, only, the only other time, time I recall him, him climbing, climbing the turnbuckle to a promo like this was... On one, one of his, his compilation DVDs, DVDs they, they had, had a promo of him, him talking about, about Kane getting, getting his voice, voice box. box. Oh, yes. My, My name, name is Kane. I, I think he used Rudy Poo in that one as well, didn't he? Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 Rudy Poo can eat ass. Excellent first words. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you get a the Rock book as well? I didn't, but I did have and have read the Rock's book, and it was atrocious. Oh, oh I, I couldn't, couldn't finish, finish it. No. No. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a, little a little inset, inset here. here. Oh, oh, New York Times best go, go get, get it quick, quick and Cole calls, calls it a great, great book. book. It's, it's not, not a great book. book. Please, Please don't read this. It, it flips between KFAB and reality, and it's awfully jarring and not very informative. I think the Rock's book is kind of a square up. Like, if you consider the Rock and Sock connection was mankind piggybacking on the Rock's popularity late in his career... I think The Rock's book was only a New York Times bestseller because of how good Mick Foley's was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, can you, can you imagine, imagine what wrestling, wrestling literature would have been, been like about, about mankind's, mankind's uh, uh, or, 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 I just wish he'd ghostwritten Chinas and saved us all the pain. Oh, oh but, but, but I, 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 I never owned, owned it, so, so I'd save myself the, the pain. pain. Yeah, please don't ever read it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the Rock ends with the classic smell. La 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 la. Oh, oh yes, yeah, it's a tongue lashing. After one, one, of one of the first things, things I saw on Sunday, Sunday night, night when, it when it started over, over here, here was they had a little, little vignette of the Rock, rock back, back in. in. Watch, Watch the, the Miami Hurricanes, Hurricanes game, game or something. They did the loud bit, bit. And, and nobody, nobody at school was doing that when they were doing this catchphrase. I did it. I had Kirby get me. Nice. Uh, Kurt Angle comes out, not to be outdone, he cuts a promo of his own, um, talking about how he's the real, pe- real people's champion, and I really underappreciated Kurt Angle in 2000. Going back now, there was nothing major to this promo, but his ability to garner heat was amazing. But, yeah, yeah, this, this promo, promo kind of felt, of felt like, like he was introducing himself, himself sort, sort of, of which, which I, I mean... mean... I guess, I guess in, in the past couple, couple of months, months they, were they were still kind of toying with, with him, him what, you know, you know he's... he's he started out as a baby face, face and, and he got booed immediately. So, like, like, okay, flip, 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 flip the switch. And, you know, having, having a bit more soft title. And, and he, he just comes, comes across like, like a really, really big dog. dog. It's really, really big. It's great. great. I love, I love it. it. Yeah, the character range of guys here was awesome. To be a mega heel in a self righteous, good guy kind of way, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we've then got the, the rock isn't going to be outdone. He picks up the microphone and wants to go back himself. Um, he picks up the microphone, mentions the gold medals, and everybody in the arena knows what's coming. Uh, it's time to shine them up nice, turn them sideways, etc. King, King Mark's Mark's commentary. Commentary. Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse might, might be watching. And then we get a hot start with the Rock clothesline and Kurt, who bails. Uh, Rock follows him out and nails a clothesline on the outside. Uh, Michael Cole's commentary is really killing me at this point. Um, he's just not very good. Um, 
Kurt nails a suplex on the ramp, which is kind of nice, and then goes back in the ring and hits an awesome overhead belly-to-belly and a back suplex as well, doing the sort of Kurt, early Kurt Angle woos in between every move. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, a fantastic, fantastic stretch, stretch of, of, of offensive angle, angle here. here. Like, like, almost, almost as soon as he hits, hits suplex, suplex on the ramp, ramp. within, within approximately 10, 10 seconds, seconds of a big, big rocky chant started, started right, right away. away. Any time the rock was in, in any, any kind, kind of peril, peril they got, they got right, right behind, behind him. All they called Kurt Kurt an asshole. Yeah, yeah, the asshole chants were something that you just don't see anymore. No, no. Um, we then hit the rock hit a nice looking DDT for a two count um, and his corner spit punches followed by the Samoan drop for the two count. Uh, Steve Blackman then comes out the rock nails him with a kendo stick, but then nails Kurt angle with it as well for another disqualification finish uh, before hitting an awkward, ugly looking rock bottom on Steve Blackman. Uh, we get a shot at ringside as the rocks leaving of Jim Dotson, the old security guard. You might remember him, the really massive looking dude in the leather biker hat that Triple H would wear as well. Um, and then as rocks walking up the ramp, he spots on the Ovaltron, Kurt Angle celebrating in the ring, pissed off, comes back in, nails a spine buster and the people's elbow. It was, it was fantastic. fantastic. The, the ring announcer announced, announced Kurt as the winner by DQ, DQ and, and he celebrated like, like he won the gold, gold medal again. again. It was oh, brilliant. Kurt was awesome. Yeah, yeah it was fantastic. fantastic. We then get the classic Royal Rumble Tumblr shown backstage. Uh, and we're told that's got all the names of the current roster in. Someone's going to face Triple H for the title in the main event. And they they use... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No. Yeah, the, the classic Rumble. The same, the same one, one gets, gets used in all, all of these vignettes, I swear it is. It must be pretty strong because it's been knocked over every year for God knows how many decades now. Well, they we only have, have to wear it out once, once a year. year. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the cops are outside waiting for Mick Foley, who's been fired and therefore isn't permitted in the building. And we come back and we've got Edge and Christian with Jeff Hardy up against the Dudleys and Al Snow. Um, this is pre-five-second pose for Edge and Christian, still coming out through the crowd. Um, and Jeff and Matt Hardy are still with Terry after the Terry Invitational Tournament. And then it's time for the heels to come out, and Al Snow has some more awful generic music. I have, I have no, no memory, memory of him having any music, music whatsoever. Like, like, he, he just, just recently, recently turned, turned heel, heel um, um, over, over jealousy, jealousy of, of the, like, when, when uh, the, the Rock Connection, connection ended. ended. Rock, Rock on offers a single guy, guy, but Mankind had a team with Al Snow, Snow and then... And then they kind, they kind of made, made up a bit, and the rock rocket connection kind of evolved, and now got very jealous of that and turned on both. Well, I know he doesn't have it as of WrestleMania, so it obviously was a, a not long for this world. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one, one of those. those you, you hear, hear it, and it, it, it sounds, sounds like a like Yeah. We've got Bubba and Devon out, and they've got their classic music, the, the very first Dudley boys. That, ooh, 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 ooh. But they are starting to merge towards the camo and out of the tie-dye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, Christian and Devon start off, but Jeff's in there pretty early doors, um, and Snow's in the blind side, Jeff, as well. And the Dudley boys come in for a double team. It's pretty hot and quick and hard to keep up with early on. Bubba hits a, or doesn't hit, goes for a delayed vertical suplex on Jeff, which Jeff flips out of after a nice age up top. And then we get a huge Alabama slam by Bubba on Jeff, who takes a really sick-looking bump on that. Massive. Massive. Yeah, yeah, Jeff, Jeff is bumping, bumping really, really well, well for, for Bubba. Bubba, Bubba the stage the match, match is great. great. Bubba and Al Snow grab a leg each, and Devon comes off the top with the what's-up headbutt. And we get Bubba hitting a backdrop and a clothesline on Jeff with the second flipping cell on a clothesline for the night. 
Um, we've got Jeff then hitting, hitting a Hurricane Rana on Bubba. Edge comes in and takes out Everon before Christian comes in to help out. And Jeff hits a somersault flip from inside the ring out onto Al Snow. Edge spears Devon. Christian hits a reverse DDT on Bubba. And Edge hits a downward spiral on Bubba for the three count. Another, Another little, little myth, myth of a finisher, finisher here. here. This, this is, is probably, probably the first time, time I've seen Edge win a match with a downward spiral. It's such a weak-looking move, isn't it? It's no wonder he... I think until he really won, won his first title, he never really had a dominant finisher, Edge, did he? Switch between, between like, like the two, two all the time. Times. Sometimes, sometimes it'd be the spear, sometimes it'd be the execution. Yeah. It just This one wasn't good, but it was enough for the win here. Edge and Christian then vacate back through the crowd, and Snow goes a little bit mad and nails both the Dudleys with head. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, Jeff when, when he took that heel over the ropes, he overshot his dive a bit, bit and, and his feet, feet clapped right, right into the barricade. barricade. Looked, looked pretty, pretty painful. painful. Ooh, that's a nasty one. That'll take some ice. Yeah. yeah. We've um, got a recap of Big Boss Man and Albert beating down Test on Raw, uh, leading to Test having a broken nose and he's now wearing a face mask. And we're going to test up against the big boss man. Test out to that classic test, test. This is a test. Um, great themes. Uh, this is some of the best parts about watching the old shows is the theme songs for me. Oh, just, just on it, on it at this stage. stage um, yeah. Um, he's out in the face mask. He kicks away a handshake offer by the boss man, which made no sense. Zero. Zero. Yeah. yeah. Just, just totally confused, confused me. me. He comes off the ropes for a crossbody, which the boss man catches him in a nice feat of strength and nails him with a backbreaker. Um, random sign in the crowd of Limp Biscuit, so <laughs> definitely in 2000 here. Um, and we get a test clothesline uh, before he ends up tied in the ropes in that old Andre the Giant spot. Uh, boss man rips his mask off, and then Prince Albert comes out, still Prince Albert at this stage, um, and attacks Test on the outside. Starts to they, they tell us he's working over the nose, but there's a lot of throat thrusts and things like that in there as well. And drops Test sort of armpit and chest first under the barricade, which Cole over sort of awkwardly yells out, face first, um, before telling us that he's got a broken nose about 13 more times. Um, Test hits a huge big boot, um, really good boot, back and forth between the two before Test hits a power slam. And then we've got a bicycle kick from Albert while boss man was holding test but test gets out the way nails the boss man surprisingly no dq and test picks up the win and hightails it through the crowd yeah, yeah the, referee the referee still, still consciousness of this here he, he sees, sees albert, albert do the, the pump, pump kick, kick and, and is it both really, really? Yeah, a bit weird, and it didn't really put Test over very strong here. Uh, Michael Cole actually says this line, believe it or not, Test gets a victory, and I thought, way to bury a guy that he could have been a main eventer a month ago. <laughs> believe, believe it or, it or not, not, Michael, Michael Cole, Cole said, said a coherent sentence. sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Albert and the boss man argue in the ring, and I just think no one came out of this looking good. This was a rare miss at the time for the WWF. No, no, very, very, uh, very, very few, few notes on this match, match. other than... From there we go to the fake mankind again at Universal Studios. <laughs> and this is this was my favourite one of the night. Do you remember what the line was? Oh he skips off and being great. So earlier on he was on the, on the Jaws, Jaws ride, ride he's, he's bragging, bragging about, about oh, I was so scared of being thrown off the cell. cell. And then and the, the Jaws, Jaws shot comes out and he's like, ah! <laughs> um, then, then 
skip following that, that he, he was trying, trying to get into Woody's, Woody's woodhouse, house but the ride closed, closed so, so he tried, tried to bribe the guard, the guard didn't work. work. And now, and now here, here he's trying, trying to get on back to the future ride. So he, 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 he wants to go, to go back either to 1999 for his first title, title win or the last, the last of the last time his wife wanted to accept him. What, 1970? I think it was 72 or something like that. 72. <laughs> yeah. That was rough. Good line, though. Yeah. When we come back, we've got the Mean Street Posse up against Kai and Ty. And my favourite sign of the night is a Pete Gas fan club sign held up by a guy probably in his mid-40s with a white t-shirt tucked in the jean shorts with white trainers on. <laughs> do, do, you do you think, think that, that was a deliberate, deliberate attempt, attempt at cosplay, cosplay or, or do, you do you think, think that, that is how, how that, that man genuinely, genuinely, genuinely dressed? dressed? I want to think that that's how he was genuinely dressed because it entertained <laughs> me. <laughs> Um, when we, we get a start on the outside with a bit of a brawl, but Tucker gets on the apron and hits a lovely acai moonsault. Um, the one thing about Tucker, whenever I go back and watch, it's it's, a, it's hard to describe, but the angles and the way he does his moves are always just so crisp and clean. Like There's no you know awkward rotation or anything. He's awesome to watch. Yeah, yeah he's a very, very proficient, proficient wrestler. wrestler. And, and um, um, a lot, a lot more, of, of, a lot a more useful, useful than Triple H, H made him out, out to be. be. So, they, so they, he, was he was quick and early on as, as possible coming, coming out, out like, like, hey, you know, this, this is their reward, reward. maybe, maybe they'll win a match. Yeah, way to put over your talent. Yeah. Did you hear him? Sorry, did you hear him? Yes, I did early on, and I wondered what the hell they were thinking. Maybe there was a lot more Pete Gas signs, and I just didn't spot them. Maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe. Um, we're, in, we're in Florida. Florida. Uh, well, I well, suppose, I suppose there's, there's a lot of retirees in Florida. Florida. Maybe, maybe they're just, just like, like, oh, Florida, go away. away. <laughs> yeah. Sign of the time. Some of them still remember Pearl Harbor. Pearl, Pearl Harbor! Harbor. Yeah, we, yeah, we, 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 we did, did get, get a Pearl, Pearl Harbor, Harbor job early on the Hollywoods, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, where's Gorilla when you need him? <laughs> um, we then go inside and a really... A Kai and Tai favourite spot of mine where we get... The drop ho- ho- drop toehold by Taka. Funaki puts on the camel clutch and Taka comes off the bounces off the ropes and hits a sort of low drop kick to the face. Love that move. <clears throat> we then get Funaki coming off the ropes, f- sort of flipping over J- Joey Abs in sort of a awkward looking blockbuster type move, and it just didn't quite work. Yeah, yeah. I have here interesting, interesting reverse, reverse block blockbuster by, by Funaki, Funaki. With, with interesting, interesting inverted, inverted commas. commas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get a huge suplex by Joey Abs. He was definitely the worker of the group. Um, and Jerry Lawler says uh, Kai and Ty should go home and climb the Great Wall. <laughs> a little bit of casual racism mixed in. Um, we get Rodney with it, comes in, hits a body slam, and immediately tags back out to Joey Abs. Brings him in and hits a move where Rodney backdrops the Kai and Ty member into a power bomb from Joey Abs. And Cole tells us that was called the Stock Exchange. <laughs> Not, uh, not bad though. Oh, oh that, that, that was, was a very, very impressive move. move. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, posse, the posse in general, in general just surprised, surprised me in this match. match. So, like, so, like Joey Abs with his spell suit on people early on. on. And, and yeah, yeah, that, that was, was quite, quite a nice. Uh, that was quite a neat double, double team. We then get Pete Gas coming in, and it's here that I notice Michael Cole's going in to name the move Overdrive for the posse. Um, he hits sort of a full Nelson slam almost, and Cole tells us that it's called the Gas Mask Slam. Yes. That gets him a two count. And then Rodney comes off the ropes. He tries to hit a blockbuster sort of move of his own, um, but flips over and takes 
Pete Gas by mistake, and Rodney lands square on his head, so it was a really sickening-looking move. Um, Tucker comes in and hits a missile drop kick uh, with Funaki underneath getting the roll-up for the 1-2-3. Um, and we were told the move they were going for was called High Society. Sorry as well, I missed that one. Um, but what did you think about the match? Yeah, I, I, again, 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 really, really surprised, surprised me. me. Uh, I, I quite, quite like some, some of the offence here. This is very, very inoffensive. No, no, wait, wait. Well, it, well, was, it was offensive, offensive but it offend me. <laughs> I, I thought um, it was a little, little bit awkward, but it was nice to see Kai and Ty. And when Joey Abs was in or Kai and Ty were on offence, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the finish, finish as well, well I really, really like because Tucker came, came off the rope for the drop kick, kick and Funaki was basically immediately under the man getting drop kick. So it kind of worked like a high low thing. You can roll him up straight away. I've not seen anything like that before. It's pretty good. You imagine Kai and Ty would fit in quite well in today's NXT. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, Funaki's just, just on the, on the Japanese announced team. I mean, a minute. Takaka's still going. going. I, I, I think he's still, still working, working for, for the rest of He's one of the few guys I would have liked to have seen over for the Cruiserweight Classic, to be honest. I think he, he could definitely put someone over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we then go backstage to Triple H and Stephanie again. It's getting a little bit much, but I know this is what they were going for with the whole McMahon-Helmsley era. Uh, before getting our first promo for the upcoming Royal Rumble, uh, the 2000 Royal Rumble, uh, do you ha- did you watch that at the time? Uh, I, I missed it. it. This, this was the first pay-per-view they showed on Channel 4. 4. I actually didn't, didn't twig it because I was only like, like weeks, weeks into watching. watching. So, so I didn't, I didn't watch, watch it at, at the time. time. Um, um, my, my first, first show I ever saw was the next, next one, No Way, way out. out. I, I, I found that on VHS. Yeah, yeah. The Rumble 2000 was was good memories for me, particularly um, Tucker taking that face first bump and breaking his <laughs> nose. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Uh, maybe they replayed it, it, like, it like six, six times, times as well, well didn't they? they? Oh, over and over again. Jerry Lawler kept calling for it. And he, he did just also call them Chinese every time they came out for the record. Yeah, just whenever there was like a choke spot in my mouth, like, yeah we then go backstage again and we've got a, a, a almost the whole roster in the locker room waiting around for stephanie um as she's talking up triple h for the upcoming random drawing um sadly we see tess sat there and it's a real sign that they killed his push off that he's just sat there listening to stephanie talk up triple h weeks after being left at the altar um we then have Triple H come in, and they make the drawing, and the first name out, the ringer, is Andre the Giant. <sighs> we go to the drawing again to pick a, a proper opponent, and this time it's Moolah, and Triple H knocks that one back. What was the line he said? I said, well, it would be one for the ages, but I quite, quite like some serious, serious competition. competition. <laughs> Um, they then ask Howard Finkel, who sat awkwardly in the corner, to come and make the draw. He trips over and knocks all the balls on the floor. And Triple H with another good line here, hasn't he? He says, "Damn it, Howard! Howard your balls, balls are falling all over the place." Okay, okay. Damn it, Howard! Balls are falling all over the place. Keeping a little bit of the DX Triple H going. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, before, before that spot, spot happened, happened, I was just like, like "What's Finkel doing, doing here?" here? Yeah, he, was, he, only, he, only, he only works, works at pay-per-views now. now. Why, why is he? And he's and on his hard as well, like he said. He, um, then they ask him to pick up one of the balls off the floor and draw out, and he draws out Rikishi, which doesn't make Triple H and Stephanie very happy. And Grandmaster Sexay sat next to Rikishi, gets up and immediately starts dancing on the spot. 
<laughs> the Lockering Cat's, Cat's name, name as well, well which is quite, quite cool. cool. Yeah, it was cool. Um, that's our main event set. And then before we go to the main event, we have Mick Foley meeting his impersonator at Universal Studios, and he beats the ever-loving shit out of him. He throws him into everything around, um, really goes to town. Yeah, classic Mick Foley. Ends it with an awesome line as well. Have a nice day, you son of a bitch. After that, we come back and it's time for the main event. Rikishi challenging Triple H for the World Heavyweight title. And we um, have Too Cool coming out to the ramp with Rikishi before he changes his mind and sends him back wanting to do this on his own. Um, And then Triple H comes out to that classic Triple H theme song. Yo, is this shit on? You You don't don't know what trouble trouble is. I don't know if you know this Too Cool type from as well. I didn't, I didn't realize, realize they, they had, had this, this Tron at all. It's, it's all, all kind, kind of faux, serious, shot in the street in black and white, and they're walking, they're walking about, about in these rough areas, areas kind, of kind of like, like the streets of Philadelphia thing. thing. Channel so is strange. public enemy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't notice that at the time. Um, Triple H attacks early on, and Stephanie goes on to commentary, um, and she's really reminding me of Vince pretty early on on the commentary table. Um, Rikishi gets on the offense, hitting a nice backdrop and sending Triple H headfirst into the steps a couple of times and a slam and a leg drop on the floor, which was an unusual spot. Uh, Triple H then sends Rikishi back into the steps and starts slamming his head into the announce table before kissing one of the three commentary members. Um, (laughs) Stephanie here channels her inner Vince as well when she says, Rikishi sure does have an ugly posterior. Lots, Lots of talk, talk of Rikishi's backside here. Yeah, King says he sees the boobs, which we're talking backside and that. I don't know why you want to, you know, examine the boobs backside in any sort of great detail, but sure, okay, King Albert. Yeah, probably best not to examine anything King says in too great detail between 1997 and 2001. From there, Triple H hits his classic knee drop for the two... Clotheslining Rikishi and the Rikishi sell third time for the night with the flip on the clothesline. Yeah, yeah looked amazing. amazing. At, at the, the originator as well, well so, so to speak. speak. Yep, that gets a two count. Um, back on the outside they go and Rikishi hits a clothesline and then gets him back inside and does his running sort of butt first avalanche in the corner and a Samoan drop for a two count, which gets a huge pop. Yeah, yeah, this, this is the point in my match where, where the fans, fans are really, really biting on the match and biting into Rikishi's chances. chances. Yeah, it was um, really interesting to see them come alive here. He follows this up with a belly-to-belly and a bonsai drop, and this gets a really close near fall that the crowd go nuts for. The production here, here I, thought I thought, was really, really quite, quite well, well done, done because, because they're, they're in, in the corner, corner where, where you can see the old one in the background, background they and they zoom out, out and Rikishi's hitting the bonsai drop, and they, and they put, put a picture of Stephanie on the Ultron, you can see her looking all like really well done. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, from there, Rikishi goes for the Rikishi driver, but it's reversed. Triple H goes for the pedigree, which is reversed, and Rikishi nails a big kick uh, for a two count, and the crowd's still really into it, biting on everything now. Yeah, yeah another, another that stretch, stretch of counts, counts and, and again, again two super kicks. Oh, yeah, yeah, really, 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 really easy. Triple H coming off the mat after the two count, and he's got the the sort of close crop beard and the long sort of scraggly hair. Reminds me a lot of Buddy Murphy here at this point. 
Um, and Stephanie has a chair and comes in to distract, allowing Triple H to nail Rikishi with the chair, which only garners a two count, and the crowd come completely unglued. Now they lose their shit. Triple, Triple H, H is, is really, really quite, quite livid, livid at this as well. well. It's, it's great. great. Yeah, massive Rikishi chance following the, the initial pop as well. So not just sort of the shock pop here. They were actually getting behind Rikishi. Unfortunately, then Triple H sees that the writing's on the wall in this match, picks up the title belt, and just nails Rikishi for a cheap disqualification. This, of course, brings us to more audible asshole chants from the crowd. Um, and Triple H starts to wail off on Rikishi with chair shots, and he just keeps getting up, allowing Michael Cole to do what I thought to be his strongest bit of commentary of the night, really selling Rikishi getting up and helping the angle, not just sort of staring at it bewildered like the WCW crew did, but really selling what was happening for everyone at home to read between the lines. And then Too Cool come out to celebrate with Rikishi in the ring, having their typical dance with Triple H pissed off on the ramp. He, he is, is furious. furious. Like, no, 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 Oh God, stop it. Good ending to the show though, did you think? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, I, I think, think this is the strongest, strongest match, match out, out of, of the set of these shows. shows. Um, really, really nice. Uh, sort of sort way of getting, getting Rikishi over, over really. Um, no, no, he's, 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 in, he's got, got a fairly light like heart gimmick, gimmick, so you know, you know, there's, there's, there's a chance, chance people, people might overlook him, him but they did a really, really good job at laying um, out his style of offense and how tough he is. And it served him well moving him further the card later on in the year. Absolutely. All right, so that's the end of SmackDown then. Um, and now, as is typical on the show here, we go to our five-point scoring system. Um, so let's get underway with that. Um, first card off the rank here is production value. Who did you score the win in production value for the show? Uh, I, went I went with, with uh, WWF on this one. one. Uh, uh, there's there's lots, lots of neat little production, production touches, touches like... like uh, yeah, I think the run-ins was the big one for me that made the difference. I also went with the WWF. The other one, I think, was the timing. You know, we talked about Thunder ending with funk going through the stage and no time to sell it whereas yes, triple yes. h got his heat rikishi got his heat back and we had a story wrapped up in the right frame of time at the end of the show um crowd heat who did you go with this, this is, is a, a, a little, little bit closer, closer here, here um, um but, but i still, I still went, went with the wwf, WWF. No, no one no, no uh, as, much as much as the, the wcb fans, fans seemed in the, the show, show there was no, no one we're into, into like, like the, the WWF crowd went to The Rock, Rock or Rikishi, Rikishi or Jericho. Jericho. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that one. The crowd for Rikishi shocked me at how hot they were. And just the signs and the pyro at the start, you could see who was, which crowd was more up for it. Um, Storylines, who did you go with? WWF, WWF again. again. Um, um, I, thought I thought the show, show had a very, very nice sort of focus, focus in that regard, regard and establishing that Triple H is definitely running, running place, the place, the punishing DX, um, punishing, punishing Kurt Angle and, and The Rock. Rock. 
and the, the running friend, friend of Mick Foley, Foley as well being humiliated whilst he's uh, unemployed. Yeah. WCW, WCW, a lot, a lot of, of their points, points didn't, didn't make a lot, a lot of sense to me. It was, it was a bit frantic. frantic. Yeah, I also like the angle within the angle in WWF, having the Rikishi Triple H thing sort of a one-night storyline without interfering with any other storylines. I thought you could tell they were really sort of hitting their straps here with the writing in WWF. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the kind, kind of work, work as well. That's well, very, very good, good for, for uh, putting all those shows, shows in portents. So, so you, you, you have, have to watch, watch the show to understand what's going, going on to really, really feel you know, a part, part of it. it. Yep. Um, characters, who did you go with? WWF, WWF, WWF again, again. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, just so, so much better, better start, start out, really. really. Um, yeah, considering they had no Steve Austin at this point as well, um, the, you can't really go past the Rock at this point. Triple H was coming into his own as well. Like he was obviously him and Stephanie were running the show, but the Rock was just the character of both shows for me, and he didn't even do all that much, but he was super over. WCW yeah, yeah. had a lot of guys that could go that they didn't really use to their fullest potential either, which made it hard. Yeah, yeah I, I thought, thought WCW, WCW had, had a lot of Deadwood dead at this time, time and, and you can see, see a lot, a lot of, of that on, on the show, show in particular. Yeah. Uh, last one, match quality. Who did you go with? WWF for me. Um, um, Funder, I mean, the, the tag title, title match was the only thing, thing that resembled a proper wrestling match for me. Both the... Jarrett, Jarrett Bunkhouse Brawl was a serviceable kind of squash. Of squash. Um, um, no, but, no, but yeah. yeah. Smackdown, Smackdown, you had, you had uh, the main event. event. You, you had uh, the six-man six tag, tag and Rock and Kurt Angle, Angle with a little, little prelude of what was to come from Ben Ben's pretty nice as well. Yeah, I had in my notes all those three matches were certainly, you know, both shows was filled with short matches. There was nothing that really went long, but the main event on SmackDown was head and shoulders above everything else. And the other two matches you mentioned, both good quality for what they were as well. Um, so that gives us our final score, and for the first time in the history of the show, we have a 10-0 victory. Um, so, big win by Landslide on the last ever Thursday night showdown between Thunder and SmackDown. Um, perfect, perfect 10, 10 if you will. will. Yes, perfect 10. <laughs> Still catching up with NXT, so that could be the glorious 10. Glorious 10, 10 yes. yes. Actually really looking forward to that Tag Classic this year. I saw the bracket today for the first time, and it's definitely looking like it could be a good, good bit of fun. Yeah, a yeah, lot, lot more outside people in this, this one, one as, than as opposed to last year. year. Yeah, and with the titles not being on the line and some possible debuts in the tournament as well, it really is a bit of a pick-em. Um, so that, that's the rundown for the show. Uh, take two. Hopefully there's no more technical difficulties and we'll get it up within the next day or two. Um, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you before we sign off? Yeah, yeah sure. sure. So, so um, we're, we're on, on our SoundCloud page. page as usual, um, um, TNNW podcast we we just broke the 500 follower um watermark um recently really really pleased with um we're also on iTunes and radio and um usually about a month or so after we do our shows also write i also make some blog of the shows so um there's something, something you can, you can go, go to, to visual references and things come up, up because there's a lot, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, uh, so, so if you head to ayatollahrockandrollerblogspot.com, you'll see all our other directors' notes. 
And if you if you haven't done yet, definitely go on iTunes and download TNW Podcast. Um, great listen. I've listened to every episode. I've got it on my phone here at the moment so that I made sure I gave the right name. <laughs> um, make sure I had the spelling and everything right or they'll be searching for days for something that's not there. Um, give it a listen. If you do enjoy the show like I did, uh, leave a five-star review. I'm the only one currently in Australia, I think. So anyone in my side of the country, get with it. Um, and as always, you can find us on Twitter as well, um, or on 4CR online or 4C, uh, 4C radio on Twitter. I always get that wrong. Um, and on SoundCloud as well. And if you do enjoy this show, please give us both some feedback on Twitter. Um, I've very much enjoyed having a partner for the first time. So it certainly made this a lot more enjoyable. It's been, it's been a, pleasure. a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, it's, it's really, really great, great working, working with, with you, Lee. And, uh, keep, keep up, up good, good work. work. Thank you much, Lee. And fingers crossed we'll get a chance to hook up again and do this sometime again in the future. Yeah, yeah for sure. sure. Definitely. Perfect. Thank you very much. And thanks to everyone for listening. Don't treat me like a woman. Don't treat me like a man. Don't treat me like an old man. Treat me for just who I want.